This is an IMA podcast. The Institute of Modern Art is a contemporary art space in Brisbane, Australia. Since 1975, we have been presenting cutting-edge visual arts through our annual program of exhibitions, public programs, publications, and off-site initiatives by local, national, and international artists. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where the IMA now stands, the land of the Yuggera and Turrbal people. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So thank you all for coming to hear um, Gordon Hookey speak about his, um, his new exhibition at the IMA, A Mariality, um, and more specifically the works that have been completed this year um, as part of a new commissioning project. They're the banners that you see around you. They're incredibly vibrant. Um, and full of humour and wit and stories and critique. Um, and Gordy is joined today by Cheryl Levy to have a conversation about this wonderful body of work um, and how it fits into um, his wider practice. Uh, I won't say too much more. That's kind of the broad um, container for today. Um, I'm just here to do some quick housekeeping. Um, if you haven't been here before, the bathrooms are back out through the shop. Um, you can ask Caitlin at the front desk for directions, but if you go out through the shop and keep walking towards the stairs, they're just on your left. Um, we also have a photographer here today, um, so if you don't want to be included in any photographs, please just come and see me or tap them on the shoulder. Um, and similarly, if you need anything while you're here, you can, um, you can come and see me. Um, this talk is part of IMA Open Day, so you would have seen that we have a whole bunch of makers um, out in the shop and in the, um, the foyers. Um, so please, if you have time, stick around, check out um, some of the handmade goods. We also have a bar opening um, this afternoon, and Echo and Bounce um, are providing some beautiful tunes for you to listen to. And they also have a listening station out in the courtyard as well, so please feel free um, to hang around after that and enjoy the atmosphere. Um, but without further ado, I might hand over to um, Gordy and Cheryl. I might let you kick off, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, first of all, congratulations, Gordy, on making my reality this Murray's reality. See what I did there? That's one of your part. Um, it's the first survey of your work across about 30 years of using art as your own form of activism. I did my survey to prepare for this of some of the literature around your work and there are some phrases, some words that pop up over and over. And in the spirit of Gorky's own wordplay, we're going to drop a few of these in conversation today and see if they hold true for you yourself. Play a little bit of a word game, just like you do. Let's start where we always start, though, before we get to that, with your country and your people. Where's your country and who are your mob? Yeah, um, my mob are one year. I'm from North Queensland. My hometown is Honkari, that's where I grew up. Uh, uh, that's the home of um, the Mutukuri mob. Um, and just up around Mount Isa is, uh, is all the Kalkadun mob. So, you know, they're the people that I grew up with. Um, I didn't actually grow up in my country. Um, my grandmother and grandfather was born at, at Louis, Louis Creek, 
like a lot of Wanyu people, uh, their ancestors were born there. So, yeah, so that's my home, my country. And, uh, yeah. Can we stay here for a minute? What does it mean to say you grew up in Pongkari, you were born in Pongkari? Does that mean something? Is there a deeper meaning below that? What's yes. the text that people miss, the context that people miss if they don't know Pongkari or don't even know Australia? Uh, what it is, you know, us blackfellas, uh, well, most people, uh, we have all different senses of home and senses of belonging, I guess. Uh, uh, I belong to the country where my blood had come from, uh, and that country belonged to me, in a sense. Um, I grew up on Mitakuri country, and at, right, that's where I was born, so there's a song, strong sense of home and belonging there. But you know, like, we can kind of feel that, that it's two different senses of belonging in, in that regard. What does it mean to say you're Wanyi? Wanyi, it's that sense of belonging again. You know that your roots go back to a certain tract of land, to a certain mob, uh, to a certain kin, uh, to certain people. And uh, most of all, I guess it's uh, uh, our identity as well. It's, it's who we are. But also, you know, like we have all these different senses of, of identity, of, of who we are as well. And that's just uh, a very strong element of, of who I am. One of these phrases that come up over and over when you read about Gordy, but really when you read about any um, black artist or any black person, um, who's been written about is the term lived experience. What's Gordon Hookie's lived experience if it's not trite task? I guess my lived experience is, is life, you know. It's, that's a pretty uh, difficult question to think about, I, I think, not only for us but, but for everyone because our lives are, are, are just so complex and, and so many things happen you know, within that life and within that, that lived experience. But, you know, in living the life that I am living, um, I think I try to live that life in a way where I can be, you know, the best possible version of myself that I can be, you know, within all the variables and circumstances and things that come and go, you know, within your life as well. So, um, I don't know, as that song says or something, uh, I guess, yeah, life is for living, you know. So you've been an artist since your mid-twenties, and as part of your lived experience, if you like, as an artist, you've had um, two runs at a, a, a collective, um, Bumali Cooperative, while you were at the University of Sydney, and Proper Now, um, band of banteries, if you like, with yeah. a kind of collective voice. Yeah. Um, is that sense of connection, um, working in this way, working in a collective part of your lived experience, part of your, the expression of, of you as a one person, or just coincidental, there's no different way? Yeah, no, that, that's very much, like everything is part of my lived experience. Being here with, with you and being here with everyone is part of my lived experience. It's, it's part of uh, the accumulation of, of uh, who I am and whatever knowledge that uh, gets shared, you know, within this space with, 
with Cheryl or, or, or any of the aunties or uncles amongst us here as well. But you know, like uh, to answer that first part of the question, um, I, I don't think I had a, a choice really at being an artist. It's something that I always was, you know, right from when I was small. Because to me, uh, art making and being an artist, uh, well, that is just the title or a label that, 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 that people put on you. Um, uh, for me, uh, it's just, I think, a sense of being. Um, and I just do what I, I do without really questioning or without putting you know, too much pressure on myself. Uh, I mean, as a, 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 a toddler or a baby or a kid, you know, I can remember uh, just being different to everyone else. I can remember my grandfather saying to mum, look at little Gordy boy there, um, he little dibble dibble fella, he always playing by himself. So, you know, that fact is, you know, when I think about it, you know, I'd take my toys away from everyone so I wouldn't have to fight with my brothers or, or, or sisters or cousins for toys and I'd get right away and I'd be playing on my own away from them as well. But, you know, um, in a sense, you know, that's who I am. I do things best on my own, my imagination, uh, my uh, sense of being, I guess, is best when I'm not contaminated by uh, by circumstances around. Uh, but that's part of that question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Obvious thing to state that you're still obviously playing on your own in the studio, inviting people in from time to time, but still playing on your own. Yeah, well, basically my life and my studio kind of is an open door sort of thing as well. People come and go and, um, and you know, I, I don't kind of lock anyone out of my life in a sense. But, but it, my life is kind of set up where uh, distractions are kind of minimised. It's pretty hard though, isn't it, when you've got uh, a nine-year-old, eleven-year-old, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I seem to be going all right. I can't complain. When I did this um, working through the literature, as everyone should, without sounding like I'm telling everyone what to do, I started with um, a black writer. And I was reading Michael Eyre um, in Summoning Time, Painting and Political Transition in Maryland, which is available in the bookshop weekly. Um, the crucial question that you ask in Maryland, he says, is whether the horrific tactics of the colonisers have ever really stopped. And I want to start there in terms of this, you know, repetitive use of words, the, the ongoing um, um, Surveying of the impacts of colonisation and it being your life's work. Um, that's an obvious starting point, I guess, an entry point into your work for people who aren't very familiar with the political nature of it. And we're surrounded by it today. Are you, as many activists say, exhausted by this conversation? Are you nearly done? Uh, we, we can be, you know, but there's really no, no time to say you're done, you know, um, because, you know, like ourselves, I mean, I don't even see myself as being uh, political. It's just one of those labels that, that is put on us and, uh, you know, I, I mean, if you want to put labels, uh, regardless of what you do as a black fella, as a black fella in this country, you are political. We don't see ourselves as that. 
Um, we are just who we are and we live in a country, in a nation that we belong to. And that and that's 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 it. Like um, we just be and we do as we do and it's all these other forces and labels and and uh, uh, that, that is put on us, you know, uh, we respond to uh, our environment. As an artist, I respond to my environment, uh, uh, you know, through my, my creativity, through my art. And I, I imagine everyone would do that in their own way, you know. If you're an artist, be it, you know, by a music, uh, be it if you're in the theatre, uh, be it, uh, you know, um, Whatever uh, your means or expression or creativity or, or whatever way that you feel that, that, that you ought to um, engage or meander through the life in which you're living. You know? um, we all do things to deal with our reality um, in a way, to make everything alright for ourselves. Um, if we don't, um, we may not be here, you know, um, as black fellows. Or as anybody, you know. So making sense of your Maori reality, having you come out of the womb politicised. Coming out of the womb black means you come out of the womb politicised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, just a sense of being and who we are. Indeed. Yeah. So, another um, repetitive um, point in all of the um, writing that I looked at before today um, in, in refers to the another obvious point, your figurative style. And some have talked about your enduring reference points. In your own words, what are the ongoing reference points that make their way um, into your work? Not subject matter, but specific iconography that we might all recognise, like um, P, Ornette Hansen, etc. What are the ones that have the most kind of um, generative power for you? Yeah, it, it, it's funny, like, when I do look through this body of work here, uh, I, I, you know, it's a cross-section of uh, maybe a 30-year practice, but, you know, when I look at it, it's not entirely uh, representative of what I've done over that time, in that uh, the majority of work outside of this room here, with these banners that have done been recently, the majority of these works are... Um, are, are from major collections like the Art Gallery of New South Wales, or the National Gallery of Victoria, NGV, even GOMA here. So those works were actually uh, uh, chosen by you know, um, uh, trustees or, or, or board members or, or, or people that, that uh, sit in positions of power within culture, I guess. So, so you know, what we see here is probably about 5% of um, of, um, of what, what I have done, like some of the more powerful works probably are sitting, you know, in people's homes or backyards or in basements or, or, or maybe in collections or something like that. But one of the things that's enduring about this show here that uh, when just walking around with you the other evening, Cheryl, is that, that we were commenting, um, I think there's a number of works that comment on, on, on week. The, the WIC decision, uh, uh, Howard's uh, 10 point scan, and things like that. So, around then, that was a, a constant uh, picture making reference. Uh, I mean, when Pauline Hansen first, uh, when her regime first started, it, it's like there was this uh, uh, like constant um, flow of, uh, 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 of 
you know, verbal abuse, you know, toward, towards people who were different, you know, and, you know, being a black fellow, you know, like, we were responding, you know, verbally, uh, 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 black fellows were talking to each other, they were telling me, because, you know, like, for me, I, I don't do a lot of reading, a lot of research into things, generally I respond to, um, you know, what people say. If people say that, it must be important. And, you know, I'm talking about my friends, I'm talking about, you know, uh, uh, people in Papua people that was in Bamali, you know, like, those issues and things uh, that they say to you about certain things, they're important to us because my friends and my, my family and my peers are saying things. So I'll do a picture, of, uh, uh, um, you know, about that. Like, you know, we can see uh, during John Howard's regime, you know, the, the, you know, there was quite a, work, a lot of work that he stimulated uh, as well that I responded to um, when, when he was saying things and doing things and, uh, as well. And, uh, you know, like Pauline, you know, Timothy Fisher said things, uh, um, um, Phil, Phil Ruddick, uh, you know, uh, just their inactions. But not only, you know, these politicians, but, you know, when things happen just uh, within society and culture, for example, uh, the Cronulla riots, you know, um, that, that caused kind of a ripple, you know, within, um, you know, the psyche of the nation and all that, uh, you know, stems from Islamophobia and the territoriality of, uh, you know, the surfing culture um, as well. So, you know, there's a number of works that, 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 that came out of that. So, uh, right now, uh, perhaps I'm responding more to uh, humanity and maybe our world concerns, you know, and, and what's happening, you know, in the States, you know. Um, isn't that great what's happening in recent times? But, yeah. Um, in the recent commission, you've got, um, you've made use of your, I don't know, decades-long collection of posters. Uh, not all of them are political, some of them are just um, funny and of the time, if you like. Um, and I know you used a toy transformer as a model for a dumbling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a bit of condo man in there too, or condom man in there too, isn't there? Yeah, there's a couple of posters of condom man. Yeah. yeah. Um, are these, I see these um, visual puns as being um, readable indicators or um, symbology of blackness. Yeah. Um, why is that? Why is punness an indicator of a black reality? Why do I see, or why do we see, this kindness and blackness as going together. It's so readable by black people. Yeah, yeah, but well, you know, for us, uh, when, you, when you, you know, have travelled the world and uh, engaged, you know, in First Nations people or involved in uh, other cultures, um, and you just look around, just as an observation, you know, um, from my travels is that when I look around, the people who laugh the most, or seem to be having the most fun, are the people who have less, who have very little. Uh, they, they, they seem to laugh a, a, a lot more. I, I don't see rich people, people who are well off, laughing as much as those that got nothing. I'm not glorifying poverty in any way, shape or form, because um, I would laugh with a lot of money. I think, you know, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah, but anyway, look, um, I think, you know, humanity or, or we as people have a certain way of dealing um, with things in our lives, you know, like, 
just as an example, uh, when tragedy happens, you know, uh, a whole lot of jokes happen, you know, um, in regards to that tragedy. Uh, you might remember um, Shirl, Shirl's neighbourhood, um, Shirley Strachan. He was, uh, you know, a uh, lead singer of that rock band that sang, you know, horror movie right there on my TV. I remember when, um, you know, there was black and white TV and then all of a sudden it turned into colour. And the first thing they showed when colour TV happened was uh, Countdown, um, the music show. And the first band that was playing was, um, yeah, it was Shirl's band. But anyway, sadly... Skyhooks. Skyhooks. Sky okay, yeah, that's my punchline. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah, Shirl actually died uh, in a helicopter crash, I think. It is sad and tragic. Um, but what was his last words? Well, where the fuck the sky hooks now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Oh, no, no, but yeah, that's what I mean. That, that's what I mean. Like, uh, when there's tragedy, there's these jokes that help, lo lo uh, help lighten, you know, the, the, the depth of despair or sadness, you know, uh, as well. That's just an example of, uh, yeah, what I'm saying, you know, when it comes to humour and laughter. So when you are in poverty, when you are in despair, um, when you feel that, that, that uh, life is against you, you know, you look at these little things within life to lift you up, you know. Uh, I mean, it could be just little simple things. But, you know, like, I, I, I don't know if that partially talks about, you know, what well, the point of the It does. We're going to go in a little bit deeper. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to get to documentary eventually. Um, I, I wonder about the con conversations that occurred, though, in front of Murrayland at APT 10 at Pogoma. Knowing the kind of institution that Pogoma is, um, another institution um, that I spend a lot of time in, I'm not... Um, rubbish in front of my any stretch of the imagination. Um, I do wonder about um, audiences though, um, in different places and how audiences may be changing somewhat. And this reflexive taking of offence um, when they're standing in front of works like this. Um, and whether that's your um, you're deliberately trying to provoke that, um, that taking of offence, or is it just by your very existence and the raising of your um, voice that this is going to occur? Do you spend a lot of time um, antagonising over where you may seem, where you may be seen to land there, that you're deliberately provoking people, or is it just? Uh, I don't spend any time at all. I don't even think about people viewing my art. I just do it, you know. Uh, because, you know, in the end, like, uh, I think, you know, just a cliche a little bit, you know, generally people will bring to artwork or bring to their own life, you know, their, their own um, socialisation, you know, uh, their own experience. They will look at everything through the screens of their own experience. And uh, me, and we uh, as artists often, uh, you know, we're dealing with uh, poetics, visual poetry, we're dealing with metaphors, we're dealing with uh, 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 similes and animalophayas and all these poetics uh, as well. So there's many interpretations to 
work that we do. And you know, a lot of times, you know, the viewer will look at a work of art or, or a picture and they will interpret their own way. They will interpret that picture in their own way. And then I know, like some journalists have sort of interpreted work that I have done, and then they blame me for their interpretation, you know? And, you know, and, yeah, and generally, it, it, you know, it's not what I intended, you know, as well. But, but they, I can't say to them that it's not there if they, they see it. But what it is, it's, it says more about them than it does about me or the work that, that I had done as well. Sort of thing, and that's that old cliche again about um, artists, uh, be it musicians, writers, you know, holding up a mirror to society and culture. Um, and a lot of times, society and culture don't know, don't like what they see as well. And you know, there is kind of like um, a innocence, in a sense, or an honesty, you know, to works that reflect back at uh, the viewer as well. There's a bit of irony there, isn't there? What could possibly be more offensive than the racism, oppression, capitalism, etc. that you're commenting on? But of course, it's the cock-headed shuttle and the bolt helping get the flagpole of Parliament House off. That's much more offensive than yeah. the racism and yeah. the oppression in the first place, the politicisation of those things that you're commenting on. Yeah. Well, I mean, that old question, why is it that, that me and my contemporaries, why are we seen as confrontational, as uh, controversial? You know, all we are is blackfellas living in our land, in our, uh, in our country, you know, and we are reacting as belonging to this land in this country, you know, as blackfellas. But to society and culture, all of a sudden, you know, the way that we are, Appears to be confrontational, etc. You know all these words. We're, we're seen as you know black radical activists or, or militant. When really we're not. We're just who we are. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the other cliche that I often say to you. You know, Cheryl about uh, uh, about Dundalee. You know, um, but not only Dundalee, but uh, you know uh, there was that quote from um, Che Guevara that goes something to the effect as um, I've got to think of it now. Bear with me for a second. <laughs> I'm searching into the, the, the vaults of my memory. Uh, uh, um, yeah, we were, yeah. Yeah, it, it is with, it, it's, it is at the risk of seeming ridiculous that the true revolutionary is guided by deep feelings of love. Um, now, all that is saying is that, you know, like, Often, people like Dunderley, people uh, 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 like uh, uh, Uncle Coco, you know, um, uh, they're, they're seen as, you know, militant or, or black radical activists. But what Dunderley, what that quote is saying is that, that it is the, the love that we have for our land and our country, as well as for our, our fellow people and the people that, that see things our way which is part of the reasons why when I do sunnies I always put the Aboriginal flag uh, in the sunnies yeah? and I will also you know, often put a heart in there because it's not about just fight and militancy and anger but it's also a, 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 about you know, that deep emotional connection that we have uh, you know, within our, our lives. I'm not saying everything is um, like fuzzy and smooth and rosy but um, 
you know, all I'm saying is that try and see things our way, I guess, you know, by looking through the lens of who we are. Beneath, um, uh, not apologising for the anger at all, though. No, it's a completely rational response to be angry. It's yeah. a completely rational response to rise up in defence. But what are you defending? What are you angry about? You're angry about the oppression or violence against your country and your people. Yeah. What are you defending? Um, and what, what's underneath that? What's underneath that is a deep love for country and people. Yeah. Yeah. And like, also, you know, we can't be angry all the time, you know, um, as well, because Anger it is something that that uh, that could. If you're angry all the time, you know, um, it it's just not healthy for you, you know. And, and I think a lot of our anger uh, somehow morphs into passion or or humour or, or, or something constructive where where we can um, alleviate the source of that anger. And you know, art and creativity and just your sense of play and having fun um, alleviates a uh, 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 destructive emotion. You know, that destructive emotion is not only destructive to yourself, but it could be for others because I've had people who have seen my art before they've actually met me. Um, they say to me, Gordy, um, if you haven't got your art, I think you might be in jail now. <laughs> I reckon I, I reckon I, you, you, you might have killed somebody. But people have said that to me, but you know, like... Who um, that person that is pathetically racist? My brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the same brother. Uh, you know, uh, he asked me for $50 one time, okay? Uh, and so I gave him $50 and uh, Blackjack said to me, oh, um, I'll give it back to your pension day on Monday. And I reckon, oh, no, don't worry about it, Jack, you can have it. And he reckons, uh, oh, no, I reckon, oh, well, I might just ask you to kill someone for me. <laughs> and he reckoned, no, I don't want it. <laughs> he tried to give me $50. This is a side of Woody I have never heard about. I'm exposing myself here. I mean, not that way, but you know. <laughs> Let us fast forward from um, that cockheaded shuttle I was talking about before, which I think is it in is it in here? Which one? The one with the shuttle with the cock on the top of it. And then there's that other um, fellow. Which one is it on the other side? Andrew Bolt, shape is a bolt, and they're both. If I'm reading it correctly, Gordy, trying to get off the flag pole. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Is that um, no, that, that was part of uh, Murrayland 1. That's oh, where, that's where I got the, uh, you know, the, um, you know, how the, the tower on Parliament House on Capitol Hill in Canberra, how you got that, like, triangular or, or pyramid hierarchical structure. Well, you know, we've, I've, I've just got a picture of Bob and what he's doing, he's, he's going like that and he's, all these guys are thinking, wow, good technique. <laughs> <laughs> he's going like that, you know, uh, on the... Uh, and all this white stuff come flying out, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, while he's masturbating the, the pyramid of Parliament House sort of thing. And uh, I don't know, that, that, that comment is just about him uh, acquiescing to policies and government uh, of the time, I guess. Was that the word you were calling yeah, that? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, it's kind of like the, the, the repetitive, repetitive things, and, you know, with, with Andrew Bolt, too, you know, like. Um, He's been repetitive in the work that, that I've done because he represents uh, 
uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, the controller of thought, you know, like media. Uh, I mean, of course, I say Rupert Murdoch is, is like um, Voldemort, you know, like uh, um, a Joseph Goebbels on, on steroids, if anything, you know, because I call him Voldemort because it's he who cannot be named, and if he can't be named, he can't be responsible. Well, Bolt is just probably, Andrew Bolt is probably just one of these little soldiers, if, you know, for want of a better, better metaphor. And, um, you know, the way I represent him is, is like a Bolt, you know. Um, Hussein Bolt, he's the deadly Bolt, you know, the lightning. So he's a certain deadly looking Bolt. But Andrew Bolt, he's just a Bolt. And you might notice the representations. Often he's carrying washers. The, the reason why he's carrying washers is because he's got no nuts. And as you know, I mean, I know working in a, in a, in a workshop and in the studio, you know, you find a, a bolt and you want to join it, but, you know, to, to do a sculpture or something. If you, so, look, basically, a bolt without nuts is fucking useless. <laughs> Sydney, you know, like uh, basically uh, it is a race riot. Um, well, and it happened probably because of, you know, the, these young Arab men. I mean, they're, they're quite vain actually, um, young Arab men, you know, and they often, you know, have flash cars, real deadly cars, you know, and of course, you know, they have their uh, blonde accessory. Um, if you know what I mean, they'll, they'll go to, the, you know, Cronulla, they go to all the beach. And then they just sit in the car park and hang out in their deadly cars and rev in their engines. And of course, you know, the local surfers or, or the local people, you know, must have took offence to it or something, you know, the, the fact that these young Arab men were turning up there, you know, um, in their so-called territory. But they weren't even surfing, they weren't stealing the brakes from, you know, the, the surf brakes as well. But, you know, and I guess, you know, uh, uh, it, 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 just the jealousy, I suppose, it, that happened and it started from there and then of course violence and you know the, the young men getting on their phone to you know call call other young men and, and it just got way out of hand you know and uh, and I just went on and it's quite brutal I think there was you know bashings and fights and stuff like that but um, uh, and John Howard you know was made to ask to make comment and he's like oh it's just some young fellas letting off steam that's my white fellow voice. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and, and in the end, you know, like uh, they, they just caused quite uh, a lot of division uh, to the point where if you and it went to any of those beaches, you know, it's like um, as a symbol of exclusion. You know, the, the surfing culture would tattoo on them and have flags just with uh, you know the, the Southern Cross on there. Now the Southern Cross is a constellation in the sky 
which we've lived under as blackfellas from you know the beginning of time. Not only us, but when you look at the uh, the South African nations, the Southern American nations, you know. We slept under the stars, we slept on swag, we slept on spring beds looking up at the sky. I mean, like our relationship with the Southern Cross is much more intimate than, you know, the, the surfing culture, the beach culture that actually tattooed on them. That it's more intimate than those that put it on the flag as well, because, you know, those that done that are, you know, they sleep with the roof. They don't see the stars at all. And, and not only that, you know, traditionally, just the shape or the positioning of, uh, of those stars in that constellation hold of things that, that was happening. Um, I don't know what they are because I never ever lived a traditional way, but I'm just going from what, what people have told me uh, as well. So our relationship to that constellation is much more deeper um, than, than the way that it was used on the, the flag. I mean, the metaphor came from Richard Bell uh, one night when we were getting on the piss and he, you know, just sort of, there was news about the Cronulla riot and, and it had the flag, you know, with that and, and it was a symbol of exclusion. If you're not Anglo-Saxon or white, um, you don't belong to this constellation, this flag. This is what we are behind. And like the immediate response, I think, what Richard said is that, you know, well, you know of the swastika, of course, you know, the, um, where it's a, a beautiful, wonderful, lovely, magnificent uh, symbol of um, Eastern religion or, or of that nature. And it told of something beautiful like, uh, you know, continuation of, or, or regrowth. Uh, well, it's a, the same kind of thing with that constellation. To us, it told us of something that was powerful and strong and connected to us, who we are. And then, it's used as a racist symbol of exclusion, you know? So, you know, the metaphor is, you know, like, um, uh, that it's, it's an ostica. You know, it, it's a swastika that belongs to Australia. So we just label that, even though it's a beautiful... Yeah, yeah, consolation, but, you know, also, you know, uh, in the flag, you know, we constantly keep the, the Union Jack there too. I mean, to us as blackfellas, that, that is a very powerful symbol of, um, of colonisation, you know, um, uh, uh, as well. So that's basically what that banner um, was, was saying uh, um, as well. Um, let's stay here for a second, but I, I want to labour the point of the unintelligibility of iconography when you take it from one culture and put it into another culture and how we cannot... We don't always um, read... Um, the same symbol in the same way from culture to culture. I'm going to get back to that. But let's stay with the um, Ostica um, banner for a, for a moment and the conversation that we had for you around you feeling troubled, um, taking what was um, a protest banner um, out of the protest space, off the streets, and putting it into people's collections, putting it into a gallery. Can you talk everybody else through that kind of wasn't very, you know, long-lived, but it was tormenting you for a little yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it was. The, um, I, I created uh, banners for a, for a march, um, and, and actually we, we did march with them, but also those banners uh, was going to go into a, an art exhibition as well. Um, and, you know, in, in marching with them, you know, like, 
they were done on, on calico but, and also like with just one layer of acrylic paint and then you know then we cut holes in them and, and that U shape so that the wind can can blow through them and um, and, and I think I made four um, the Ostica uh, the Ostica banner you know we marked with it about you know three times or two or three times before that this particular show but there was these three other banners that also were, was was in the march you know and. And, um, and it was great because, you know, there's quite a lot of young artists, you know, in the march as well. And I didn't have anyone to, to carry them. Um, I saw these kind of uh, robust young men, you know, and I asked if they want to carry them. And as they turned out, they were, um, like, um, they were scouted by Brisbane Lions, you know. And so they were the, the recruitment of Brisbane Lions. So I had all these young Lions players carrying the manners out first. And, and, and uh you know, they carry it right down along George Street, and then um, I don't know. I was kind of, you know, I had the Ostica banner. I think that was one of my favourite. I was carrying that with someone else, but then I looked around, and then <laughs> there was all these artists that were carrying the, the banner. So it's great, you know, that they kind of owned that uh, as an artwork sort of thing. But but the the, the, the thing came is after the march, you know, like uh, it was in the exhibition with Proper Now at the U of Q and. Uh, and it was good, you know, like, uh, I mean, they carried a little bit of street cred, I guess, and, you know, and the fact that they were in the march, it, it, it kind of put this up added value on it as well. And uh, it was basically connected to our community, connected to, you know, um, connected to our fight and our struggle as well. Um, and then behold, you know, like, uh, the university decides to acquire it which isn't all that bad, I get a bit of mullah, you know, a bit of money as well. But on another level, which really tormented me and bothered me, is the fact that those banners, those protest banners, they cease to be banners anymore. Um, all of a sudden, uh, there is a different value put on them, a money value, um, which wasn't too bad for me, of course, you know, but there was this uh, value put on them. And those banners, would never ever go on the street again because of insurance that is put on art, you know, as well. So you know, kind of, I, I struggled with that uh, with that whole notion is that um, once institutions take hold of uh, something that is like tangibly tangible that belong to a movement that belong to a culture uh, that belong to um, uh, a community, it's like the the value is put on that by the community, which is also very problematic, I think, when, um, with the Harold Thomas flag, like, you know, in talking about that, you know, like, uh, fair enough, it was his design, and, um, and he deserved all the royalties and anything that, that had come from that, because it was his design. But then, you know, to kind of uh, uh, give up that design to a, uh, 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 um, to a white company, you know, to get make money out of it. We're talking about uh, you know another issue and thing because what happened over those thirty or forty years, you know, um, blackfellas had marched with that flag and had put on uh, an esoteric value. Uh, what we all should have done was invoiced um, Burabai Arts for um, promotional money, you know, because. We at Blackfellas, we promoted that, we put that value on it. Well, that's the sort of same thing, you know, with, with the march, with 
those banners, like that march gave it street cred and put value on it and then it was acquired um, as uh, maybe you know cultural memory uh, by that university. But that didn't sit well with me because I would have loved to have seen those banners in more marches and be available um, you know, for the community when they march. But then, you know, like because of that, one of the, the major things that I was commissioned for, for Murray, uh, a Murrayality show, they asked me, you know, to, to do banners. And, you know, they must have seen the banners in that march. And, uh, and that's when I, 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 we had a yarn about this, you know, like, uh, how do I go about it? You know, like, I, I don't want um, that same thing to happen again. So I just end up doing these, you know. And I've done them as artworks that, uh, that are like banners. So, so these are artworks about banners rather than the protest banners in themselves as well. Um, there's no holes cut in, cut in. So if you're walking across the, the bridge with these, you'll likely end up in the river, you know, when the, <laughs> uh, the wind will grab you because they're like sails. That's why they cut holes in them so the air can go through. But uh, also, like uh, you can see, they're pretty vibrant and solid with with with, with paint as well. I saturated with, um, with with paint, so so they're a lot more heavier than those that um, that were um, that I made first as well. But um, but that was my way of, of coming to terms with um, or, or, or re, re, you know resolving um, what was happening from when I was talking. You just sort of do it just for the show. So these are not protest banners, but they're about protest banners, I think, yeah. The concept is there that, you know, that the issues and concerns could be in the street, you know, because that's our raw way of, of protest, I think, is taking it to the streets. I mean, like, you know, I'm not really a foot soldier, I'm not on the front line, you know, um, but I do my protest in the studio by doing the pictures about what is happening, uh, I guess. Did any of this come up for you, your thoughts you shared earlier about the ostica and the swastika during the drama that surrounded the last documenta? documenta? Did any of that come up for you? Because um, during Documenta, um, there was uh, a bit of a drama around the use of certain iconography. I won't go into a great lot of detail, but um, there were allegations around anti-Semitism. And in some cases, that was likely true. And in some cases, it was not. And part of the um, trouble is that whenever there is, um, uh, um, to quote um, somebody else who wrote about it, an, an encounter between East and west, north or south, it doesn't really matter what direction you're coming from. Like as that documenta, there's a lot of risk um, at hand because there is a mutual unintelligibility um, in terms of the voice, the iconography, the symbology um, that is used to represent the plight of a people. Um, and there is a kind of stripping of um, voice um, and therefore an injustice in um, assuming um, the right um, to comment um, on the use of any particular symbol um, when you're not necessarily steeped in the culture of the people who are attempting to find meaning in the use of it, as um, Gordy has found deep meaning in the use um, of what is referred to as the ostica. Did you have um, um, any conversations at Copenhagen um, in the collective around 
any kind of impact that it had on the way um, that you used your own voice and the symbols that you're using? Did you guys discuss that? No, oh, look, we've talked about, you know, what we do. Um, and one of the things we do say to each other is, um, well, actually, they say, look, um, it's about censorship, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you know, the censorship that, that comes from the church, you know, censorship that comes from your family, mm -hmm. uh, censorship that comes from government, you know. Um, they're pretty bad, you know. But we say the worst kind of censorship that you can do is when you censor yourself. You know, like I was watching TV one time. Oh, I do that a lot, actually. But anyway, um, I was watching TV this day and it was a Chopper Reed, you know. And Chopper Reed, you know, um, he, you know, he wrote books. And he, he can't even spell, you know. He wrote books. And I uh, even had, you know, the screws asked for autographs because of the book sort of thing. But then Chopper um, decides he wants to paint. So he wasn't a bad painter, you know, so he was showing like the, the TV people all the paintings that he'd done. And then Copper comes up with this painting and he's, he's saying, uh, yeah, this is a painting I done. I had a, uh, you know, uh, 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 I was going to put a swastika in there, but then I thought it might be too controversial, so I, I painted over it. <laughs> and I had to laugh because this is the guy who actually killed people and he's worried he's going to offend people. Yeah, yeah, because he painted the, the swastika. But, you know, like, one of the, the concerns, especially, you know, in Documenta, because it's held in uh, Kassel, you know, in Germany. And Kassel was the, the place where all the, uh, um, all the works that were said to be, you know, like, um, I don't know what the words, a derogatory sort of works or works that... Uh, well, that's where the, all, all the books were and, and paintings and everything were destroyed um, at Castle. So Castle was the way of Germany given back to humanity, so to speak, uh, I guess. And um, in Castle, I think every five years it's on, um, but there's always some kind of, uh, you know, issue or concern that will surface uh, each, each year. Like when I was there, there was um, like a young Arab uh, man that was murdered in a uh, global gossip computer place uh, by neo-Nazis who were travelling from one city to another and doing these atrocities or something like that and there was a cover-up by, by police so so that came to the surface um, about you know um, about, about there being this underlying um, Nazism within the constabulary in, in, um, in Kassel at the time and uh, you know in this last uh, documenter um, I think there was just some um, artworks that uh, that were deemed to be you know, anti-Semitic. I, I think, and then you know, groups come out and and there were uh, a bit of controversy, and then the whole show was actually labelled anti-Semitic. The whole documentary, as a result of uh, of a couple of works, that, that's my understanding of it. But you'd have to talk to Richard or some of the artists that are. Uh, in, involved in it, but you know, you know, to me, uh, because I do my work, I do my art, you know, um, with with honesty, but also, you know, in the the right frame of mind and the right, I do it for for good reasons, you know, um, coming from my perspective, of course, you know, uh, as well. So, you know, I'm prepared to. Um, to take the, the hits or the contra controversies or the uh, or the comments or you know or the criticism 
from what I do because, um, you know, like they say in the arts that it's um, more of a crime to be ignored. I can say um, I'm going to call crime stoppers because I've been ignored. I don't think we can ignore um, the work that we have, the good fortune of being surrounded by today, Woody B. We're getting towards um, the end of our time. I just wanted to ask one last little cheeky question. You've got a um, banner, a much smaller one, that um, hangs in the studio and it reads, Procrastination is the thief of time. And, and I'm sorry, Gordy, but you might not be the greatest of all time, but you are in the hall of saying the procrastination. <laughs> Anyone who knows Gordy knows that to be true. <laughs> um, my reality was quite the undertaking, the new works. That, how many new works did you need to do? Eight. Eight in total. Um, was it a case of the, I already know the answer to this question, was it a case of the paint still drying while the champagne was being poured? Yeah. What, my champagne Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, some of these um, works, um, when they were, well, two of them actually didn't get, get down to uh, Sydney. I had to take them down when I went down. And uh, prior to that, um, uh, the day before, uh, one of the um, Milani workers took one down. And uh, as it turned out, it's the... Um, the Trump speak, you know, with the bullshit there, you can see that the work was still wet and when they rolled up it sort of stuck together, but that's that's part of that, that um, yeah, work now. But anyway, yeah, it, it, does it is true, I do procrastinate a, a fair bit, in fact, I do have that big sign up in my studio that Cheryl mentioned, procrastination is the thief of time, and what I do is I often go in there and I go in there maybe seven in the morning, and I sit there and I just read that sign over and over all day. <laughs> <laughs> until, until five o'clock. I mean, yeah, and, and interesting enough, you know, that, that sign had travelled to a number of studios uh, with me as well. And I was in a studio up at, in uh, Deegan and that sign was there. And there was an artist, his name's John Black, and he said, oh, oh goody, I've got a good one too. And, and, and he told me his uh, idea of uh, procrastination. And he's... he's um, his quote was like this, and I actually wrote it on the back of my sign sort of thing as well. But his quote goes like this. Um, Procrastination is like masturbation. You feel fucked afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not a confession. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> is here because they want to join in the um, the fact that you've actually manifested all of this for you, that you've been working towards all of this for so really long and we are um, all wanting a little piece of um, you know, the feeling um, of what it, what it feels like to um, manifest something that you have been procrastinating on <laughs> thinking about um, and bringing into um, reality um, over many, many, many years, and um, I'm, you know, from the bottom of my heart, Gordy, congratulations, and I know a lot of other people um, feel really deeply about the fact that um, we're here. You made it. Well done. Thank you. Thank you.